Welcome to Voyage of the Geek, and not Voyage of the Greek, like I introduced last week. Um, joining me, Dan Miller, myself, Dave Scotland, and for anyone that hasn't caught the show before, basically two uh, geek files, geekophiles, coming together every week, once a week, on a Monday night, 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, to discuss our findings throughout the week in the geekosphere. And these can range from games, film, um, art, mm-hmm. um, audio, mm-hmm. and the list continues to mm-hmm. evolve all the time. And truth may be included in the podcast. Very spurious content. Yes, uh, right. It's probably one of the only things we can guarantee. <laughs> that it may be included. <laughs> yeah. So what have you been up to through the week, sir? Oh, too much. Too much. Busy, busy. Yeah. Every day of the week, go to work, come home, there was something on. Living a... Uh, a dual life of uh, family-oriented activities yes. in the evening with yes. family visiting, I hear. Yes, family visiting, working on projects, hanging out with cool friend-type dudes, and it's all very good, but, man, 10 days straight of coming straight home and getting surrounded and going and doing stuff and people yelling and screaming and jumping and dancing. Not it's easy like, being social. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, think, hmm, it would be nice just to... Stay at home. Was there any uh, uh, breakthroughs on Saturday evening with the boys uh, around the MIDI devices? Yeah, yeah, we had fun. We had fun. Are we expecting uh, a, a top top five hit? Ah, uh, potentially, potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always starts that way. So we had the launch pad going, and you know, nice. um, yeah, we got all these kind of construction kits that we were building and um, mixing up beats. My mate Merlin just. Freaking loved it. Is he the, In fact, he's the uh, tractor guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- you and him both um, need to discuss the update for tractor that got released the other day. I got an email. Um, I got tractor. I run tractor as well. Okay. Um, the newest update version of tractor. Mm-hmm. Um, not a full version, so you don't have to pay for it or anything. So you want to tell people what tractor is? Oh, tractor is a uh, digital DJing software that works hand in. It's made by Native Instruments mm-hmm. and works hand in hand with um, hardware, um, dedicated Native Instruments hardware, but you can also use any MIDI device and things like that. Um, but Tractor is a way for you to store and, sh- and sort your music and get cue points all set up mm. um, and perform live. Mm. Um, a lot of big name DJs use Tractor, mm. like Carl Cox and, and guys like that, guys that have earned their way to be able to use software like that, mm. um, having come from vinyl and, and things like that. Um, but it is because so many of those things that we used to have to do in between songs to match the beat, yep. uh, to get the cue point. Um, mm-hmm. If you can imagine uh, a needle on a, on a vinyl, mm. you'd have to get the cue point, rock it, and then three or four times you'd have to prep, like let it go and tweak the beats per minute to match the other track that people are dancing to. Yeah. Then you've got to come all the way back and find the cue point again. You've got to do all this within three minutes, three yeah. and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, so it became a very laborious process and only the super genius elite could actually get creative and do some really cool stuff within the confines mm-hmm. of all that labour. Mm-hmm. Well, Tractor's the new way of DJing where mm-hmm. so many of those things that were time consuming, there's a lot of stigma around it because it takes care of things that separated the novice from the pro. Yep. Things like beat matching, yep. um, developing an ear, a tactile touch, all these things, they're gone now and so any idiot can pick up DJ software and actually DJ. Mm. It still 
requires an element of understanding of the construction of songs and beat progression and the journey of music and all sorts of highs and lows. There's a lot more to it, and that's why a lot of every managed dog is a DJ nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not many of them actually qualify as DJ. Yeah. Because there's, there's an art to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Tractor um, has made, for me personally, has made um, DJing a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the new the new plugin. <clears throat> yep. Allows Tractor to talk directly to Ableton. Ah, oh, right. Yes. Okay. So look into it because I know both of you. You'll look at these features and go, oh, <laughs> it's just all native. So Ableton, for those people who don't know, is the door, door, the digital, digital audio, audio workstation. Workstation. Yeah, yeah. So putting together music and sound effects, and well, it's mainly focused around music and stuff. Yeah, it's in the company of Logic. <coughs> yeah. Um, What's the Steinberg one? Cubase. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a few big players there, but it's MIDI, um, MIDI and audio, mm. and um, talks to MIDI is the language that computers talk to audio input devices yeah, or yeah. any input device, yeah. um, including your iPad nowadays. Mm. Um, but yeah, these are the things that that. Um, um, that we get into in our spare time. So I've got this launch pad yeah. at home. Yeah, let, me, is, let me bring up a picture of it because yeah, yeah. it's an awesome so bit of kit. It's a it's a sort of like a, um, a pad with many um, very large buttons on them and the buttons have got LEDs in it so it flashes and uh, goes all sorts of different colours and stuff. It's and a Novation. <clears throat> yeah, Novation. It's launch pad. I think it's launch pad. There's launch control and there's launch pad. I think it's launch pad. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so we've brought it up here. Um, it's got, yeah, I think it's eight by eight buttons, and um, it's really cool once you work out how to use it. Yeah. Right? So, so these are all programmable. Um, you can quite literally click one button in the uh, Ableton software, and which activates a learn mode. Yeah. And then you can yeah. just push a button, and that button will be associated with that feature in the software. Yeah, so that's really easy. Definitely. But also by default, it knows what the hell. So it's sort of, sort of almost got like a pre, pre-programmed interface for Ableton. Yeah. With all the basics, like yeah. play, start, stop, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So and it's got so it's got a mixing desk and all that sort of stuff, but it's also got the. Um, the sessions. So all of these coloured buttons, and there's eight by eight with the LEDs underneath them. You hook those up to all your samples, um, and it's really easy to do, and it happens automatically. So it's really fun. You don't have to like work really hard to make it work. Um, and then yeah, you just play the the drum sample, and you bring in the hi hats, and then you hit for some. So it's live jamming. Yeah, with yeah. predetermined <clears throat> um, loops, audio, mm. and and MIDI. Well, you like can that. you can you know haul in your own. You can buy packs off the net and just yeah. bundle them all together. And then it's just really cool and creative because then you've just got this mix and match thing going on. Um, and you're trying to find really cool patterns that work together and then be able to switch to another really cool pattern that will work after that pattern. Yeah. And when you've got loads of clips up there, you know, there could be, you know, you can imagine there's maths involved. Yeah, there's lots of different options, so it's really cool. So you could easily use that device as a soundboard, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you could have lots of uh, quotes from films and sound yeah, effects and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And you could quite literally just have that as a as a control device yeah. to launch those things. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's yeah. awesome. That's something that we might look at for the show, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like um, um, being agreed to by Obi-Wan Kenobi or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, I've had a look at uh, a lot of these input devices. Um, 
some of the big some of the big players. You've got Roland, you've got um, Novation, Native Instruments, who make Tractor. have got some pretty cool devices mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, l- lots of bright colours and customizable sort of uh, interfaces. There's a there's a competitor for it, which is an Akai PC40. I can't remember what it's what it's what it's called, but it's a similar sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and you can have multiple units. Oh yeah, yeah. So they they link together in an array. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so nice. you can have this board just of these buttons and there's yeah. lights going across it and everything and just yep. you're just hitting these buttons and um, firing off tracks. So you can have multiple songs kind of all lined up. They're all yeah. fragmented into little pieces and you just fire them off and then change them. And yeah. there's, a, there's a section of the dance music community that perform live using this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we used to call them PA. So, mm. so when a DJ used to turn up and play, there was two types of DJs. There was a DJ that played um, records or, or songs. Mm-hmm. And then there was PA, and PA was like Underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some um, uh, Daft Punk, mm-hmm. um, and these guys would turn up and actually play uh, these types of devices. Have big mixing desks plugged into computers, bunch of synths lying yeah, around. Yeah. yeah, and it was yeah. um, it's the sort of thing that if you went ever went to the big day out, mm-hmm. um, big big music festival, they'd sort of play a DJ while they set up a bunch of stuff for the next PA act. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go back to another DJ or maybe two while the next act came in and set all this stuff up. You could have the show like in your head and you're going to, and essentially you're going to program it yeah. and you've got a, um, a, a fairly rigid structure that you're going to do. You press this, press that. But you can little. wing it. Or you can wing it. And that's the magic moments when yeah. you put something, you can see a reaction in the crowd, right? And that might be to the baseline that you've just dropped in mm-hmm. and you can see it. And so what mm. you do is you just stick it in loop mode over a 32 or 64 bit loop, right? Mm. And you start to drop everything out except for that instrument mm. and then you start to tweak it and then you bring another stuff back in yeah. and before you know it you've spent three minutes on this breakdown <laughs> that no one has ever heard or never will yeah, hear yeah. some magic moments unrepeatable magic moments and that's kind of what we were doing last night we're just sitting there and then you think of these good combos and then sometimes you know it goes a bit out of whack yeah. um, like you've got too much going on and it's really muddy and it's cluttered and then you like you say you cut out a few things and then yep. it just starts to click yeah. all of these things are starting to move together it's really cool. With practice, mm. you you start to develop a sensibility mm. for, for, for what becomes mud. Mm. It's like painting. You know, mm. I can mix that colour and that colour, and that colour will give me a really nice mm. tone. But if I go heavy with that, mm. it's going to mud it. You can't have everything in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I liken... Um, Painting is very similar to music, mm. right? Where if you get the balance right and little nuances of detail and tone and, and, mm. and shade, but if you go too far, it becomes noise mm. and it's visual noise as mm. opposed to audio noise. Yeah, it's yeah. just too much. I, I can't work anything out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to kind of go minimal. I mean, do as yeah. most, much as you can with the least amount of stuff and make those <laughs> those minimal things. So if you've got three sounds that mm. you're playing with, and one you know might be a percussive sound and then maybe a bit of bass or whatever. Mm. You, you spend the extra time making those sounds awesome mm. on their own. Mm. And that's the key, I, I, mm. I reckon. You know, you can just keep layering and layering and layering, but it's hard to repeat. Mm. It's hard to get back to that place, that magic again, and it mm. doesn't take much to get off the <laughs> off the track. But it's also, it's too much sometimes. Yeah. It's the minimal things, and then it's, it's just playing within them. Anyway, that's definitely stuff that'll rear its head throughout our time uh, on mm. the desk here. Mm. Love this stuff. So, um, last time, you were hinting about props. I was, and um, 
I mentioned that throughout the studio here that the, the camera doesn't actually see it, but mm. throughout the studio we have lots of uh, little memorabilia. Mm. Um, this is not one. This is actually a... Um, it's a Nerf pistol. Mm-hmm. And this was my first attempt at weathering and turning a Nerf gun into a prop. Mm-hmm. And it is What colour did it start off as? Orange. Okay, because it's green bright, and black now and it looks cool. Bright yellow and orange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I learnt, thanks to YouTube, mm-hmm. um, you can build a house with YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Um, I learned all the techniques and through that process I got to see a lot of sites, a lot of links and things like that. And that's what I wanted to bring to the table and, mm-hmm. and um, just share with you some of the things I've found. We seem to have a fascination... Um, and I think this is a geek thing more than any anybody, but it's one of those things that it also stretches out into the mainstream away from the geek, mm-hmm. geekosphere. Mm-hmm. But we seem to have a fascination with tactile um, objects mm-hmm. from uh, memorable movies and content in our life. Yeah, true. It's something that we can put on a shelf and, mm. and look at and point and, some, and in many instances touch mm. and uh, even turn on mm. and things like that. I've got a replica uh, lightsaber mm. um, that when you flick the button it actually makes the sound and the, and the light streams out of it. Um, there seems to be this common thing that everybody likes the idea of having something unique, something cool from a move from their favourite movie or their favourite series. It's like partially to remember it because you like it, yeah. but it's also, I think, a badge, yeah, an what, identification badge. Yeah, so that's what say, I think as well. You know, this is part of what I think is cool. You know, that's it standing over there, and I've got it on display so that everybody can see that. Yeah. We often shy away from the phrase card carrying, card carrying <laughs> fan. Yeah, yeah. But I guess this is a way of being a card carrying fan with a card that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and sky's the limit. Like I've got, um, for those that aren't on YouTube, you won't be able to see it, but I've got like replica. Um, DeLorean, DeLorean from the uh, from the Back to the Future. This is this one is actually from the second film. You can tell by the white white wall tires. Ah, oh, that, good point. That they had to put on it. Um, Interesting. I believe it's yes. No, it's this, no. It's the third film. It starts the third film with the white wall tires because. The second film is the flying DeLorean, mm-hmm, yeah? mm-hmm. and then he has to get back, but he ends up going, finding the letter, and goes back to try and save the dock. Yep, yep. And that's why we have the white wall ties there. But you can see the uh, the blender on the back of it. And <laughs> so this sort of stuff, I like to build this sort of stuff for the same reason that a lot of people, if you if you're a builder at heart, people build, mm. but um, other people just buy. Mm. So the stuff I wanted to show you today is a mixture of both of those things. Mm. Where, where um, and we'll start with some of the stuff I've found in relation to memorabilia mm. and building. So I'm just going to play this in the background while we have a bit of a chat about it. What you're looking at here is Rancho Obi-Wan, which is okay. considered the largest Star Wars memorabilia collection on the planet. And where is the old Rancho located? I believe it's in California. And yeah, right. from memory, I think San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, and um, it is a very, very impressive collection. I wanted to start it here because um, if, there's, if there's likely to be some form of memorabilia or prop replica in somebody's house, mm. it's more than likely going to be some kind of Star Wars-related product mm-hmm. because of the sheer volume of products sold over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we often 
look at the history of Star Wars and the history of George Lucas, and one of the big milestone things that he is recognised for was having the smarts to understand how important merchandising was. Do you think it was actually the smarts, or do you think that that's what he was left with after the deal, and he just made the best of a bad situation, that it turned out to be friggin' epic? If you believe... um Alan Ladd, mm-hmm. who, who I think was running 20th Century Fox at the time. Mm-hmm. If you believe him, mm-hmm. he tells the story that he went to the board after the first Star Wars, or maybe even during the shooting of the first Star Wars, and Lucas's money came up as a topic, mm-hmm. and he believed that Lucas was not earning enough money. Okay. And so when they when he, he discussed it and got approval to pay him more. Mm-hmm. So he went back to Lucas and said, look, we'd, we'd like to pay you a little okay, bit more. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and at which point he said, look, I don't want any more money, but I do want the merchandise rights for any... And the two things he asked for is I want the merchandise rights and I want the ability to shoot the sequels. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. wanted to shoot the whole saga. Mm-hmm. Um and they granted him that. They, they said, yep, that's fine. Um, so whether he... But this was after the movie was made or before the movie was made? From memory, I think it was during. It was towards the end of production. They realised that he was earning... I think it was... Because my hazy recollect- recollection of that figure. story was that um, it was a, it was like a kind of a payoff. It was like, mm. we can't really pay you, but we'll we'll throw you a bone. How about you just take the merch rights? That's know? what I thought. Yeah. And then um, through the years, they, they tend to go through anniversaries. You get 20-year mm. anniversary, 30-year, whatever. Mm. Um, a whole bunch of special featured documentary type stuff comes out Mm -hmm. and you start to hear from the horse's mouth like the guy that was running the studio the producer of the film Mm -hmm. um, all of these people that were involved and from for me I just I I think it was a case of him just seizing an opportunity that was right in front of him at the time whether he had a plan to do that Mm -hmm. to to grab the merchandise or not Mm. um, but the, the story starts and ends there as far as uh, the brilliant moment in Lucas's life because that facilitated the empire mm-hmm. that he built because yep. with that he could create Skywalker Sound yep. um, he could create a special branch of his production company to work on digital which then created digital editing mm. um, you know all these milestone things that he's been recognised for by the Motion Picture Academy the, the SciTech Awards and yeah, all yeah. sorts of things um that's because of the sheer volume of money that was coming through uh, the door mm. because of merchandise. Mm. Um, and, yeah, he, he never had a problem filming, uh, creating films that he wanted to make from that point forward. Yeah. So very smart. Um, but it, it cashes in on our fascination. And uh, a lot of this collection here is, um, is products that you can go and buy, but also there is memorabilia one-off stuff mm-hmm. that was from the film. So there is a very big... Um, there's a big, very big difference between prop replicas, toys, mm-hmm. and movie movie memorabilia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the movie mem- memorabilia that comes from the film is big business, stupidly large business. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is just stop this for a second, and I'm going to play a little play a little game for you. And we're going to start with this. This is the these are the 15 items. Movie memorabilia with the highest prices. Okay. okay. 
And so movie memorabilia. So these aren't like toys or, or these are from the film. Okay, so they All were right. shot. They were, the film was shot using these things. Okay, um, there's documentation that supports that and and verifies it. Okay, um, which is often as much it goes through the same processes as say Christie's would verify okay. a piece of artwork and provenance. Absolutely. All right. Um, so. Are we gonna? Are you gonna ask me to do some guesses? I will ask you to um, guess the price. What okay. about the order? I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested in the order. All right. Well, <clears throat> well, not not the whole, maybe the whole order, but see if I could guess the most expensive item. Yeah, we can do that. I'm going to zip through these. There's 15 of them. Okay. Right. Um, and you can guess the items. So we've got some cars. Oh, hang on. So these aren't. Star Wars only. No, no, oh, right, no, right, no. Right, 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 these right, right. are these are all these are the the fifteen uh, okay. highest paid right movie memorabilia items of Ever. all time. Okay, well, this is much more epic than what I was just thinking. I was no, thinking no, this is all time. Okay. And but the the caveat is people horse trade these things all the time. Okay, yeah. so someone may have paid something that we're not aware of. I don't imagine the prices would be going down. No, that's right. Anyway. That's right. Um, <laughs> so there may be some prices out there that were paid much higher than, than what is publicly known. Okay. Um, but I'll show you some images here of the 15 that we're talking about, and then I'll give you some uh, some numbers. All right. So let me see if I can narrate the yep. images. So yep. we have Gandalf. I assume it's his staff that we're talking about. Correct. Okay. The Dukes of Hazard. The General Lee. The General Lee. Which, which, uh, in in this day, this politically correct day and age, is an insult uh, because of the flag on the roof. And yeah, I definitely get it. I yeah, get it. Yeah. I understand. But it's hard to ignore that um, it was like the number one show on television at the time, and yeah, right. you know, has a big lineage. And it had a jump in every episode. Every episode. Yeah. yeah. In doing this research, I realised that they went through um, eighty four. General Lee cars uh, shooting the whole. So how can this be series. the General Lee? It's, well, it's, it's most of the bits. It's of one of the yeah, yeah. It's one of the remaining ones. <laughs> Apparently, out of the eighty four, there wasn't a lot left because they like, kept jumping them and snapping them in half. You know, it's like the the joke with about my my favourite hammer that I've had for fifty years. I've only changed the head fifteen times and the handle and twelve. The handle twelve. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> okay, this would be a Terminator. Absolutely, it's the T eight hundred. Terminator metal uh, endoskeleton or not? Is it endoskeleton? It's an endoskeleton. Uh, endo, oh, I don't know. I suppose endo. Anyway, skeletal robot. Yep. Okay. Cool. The, well, the DeLorean, the said DeLorean. This is yes. From this particular picture we're looking at is from the first Back to the Picture film. Back to the Future film. What did I call it? You called it Back to the Picture Film. Oh, did I? But I understood what you were saying. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that's yep. the first. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, cool. All right, so. This is the Star Trek Enterprise model mm-hmm. from the TV series Next Generation. Yeah, right. I wonder how big that is. I think it's three foot. Okay. Three foot by three foot. Okay. Something like that. This is the movie camera that George <laughs> Lucas shot Star Wars with. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool. Yeah. We have the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have the dress from Breakfast at Tiffany's, Tiffany's. Audrey Hepburn. Yep. We have... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes, indeed. The, the car. The, the very car. Yep. 
wow. which is a stunning bit of kit. Like when you look at it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's awesome. Even without its wings and <laughs> and pro- uh, like useless propeller on the back of it, topocator, topocator, or whatever it's supposed to say. <laughs> we have. It's probably something else. I'm mixing stuff up. James, anyway. James Bond's uh, Lotus uh, submarine. Yeah, how cool is that? It's an awesome, <laughs> awesome. Like nowadays, whenever you see a car that goes to. Um, Anywhere near the water, mm-hmm. they're the ugliest looking things. Mm-hmm. No one's ever t- t- uh, tried to design an, a water vehicle, either mm. on the water or underwater, that looks as good as this this car. Yeah. We have the entire outfit uh, ensemble from the Hills Do Re Mi scene from uh, Sound of Music. Yeah. Oh, Sound of Music. So it's the ho- all of the, the kids and hers. I don't think he, he was part of the collection. I was going to say, there's a whole bunch of people here. What, are they they for sale? That's no. the, Yeah, well, for the price. Um, <laughs> they come you, with the people as you, well. Yeah, could, <laughs> one could wonder. Um, the Lion's Outfit from The Wizard of Oz. Holy shit. Um, which nearly killed the actor, by the way. Well, you can imagine hot and crap. Yeah, we imagine the lights from the thirties oh, yeah, that yeah. he would have to stand under. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these crazy two meter wide these lights were. They were, they were yeah. just these crazy things. That is not the thing that was sold. That's the uh, thing that was sold, which is the Austin Martin DB5, mm-hmm. belonging to one James Bond in the movie Goldfinger and Thunderball. Now, what are the special things that it's got in there? Can you remember? Well, that's why this other f- image was there, and I'll, I'll talk about this later on. Yeah, yeah I, it's got I the- had this. I owned this when I was a kid. Oh, did you? It has a bulletproof shield okay, so this that is a model pops of, up model the of the car. Yeah, it's yeah. about uh, three inches long or about ten centimeters ish long. Yeah. Um, it has an ejector seat. Okay. When you pushed a certain button, it has uh, wheel cutting oh, things out yeah, of the yeah, front yeah. wheel to slash the tires, <laughs> and uh, it's in the film. It also dumped. Um, sharp objects out the back, but also grease and oil on the road. Did it also and have smoke. like water jets out the exhaust pipes? I think it was smoke. Ah, oh, yeah. I'm sure something came out the back. Might have been oil or something. Oh, definitely oil. Um, and I think it had machine guns at the front. <laughs> right. So this was the toy that I actually had when I was when I was young. But that's the actual that's the actual car there. Um, made a comeback. That car made a comeback. Whether it's, the, it's I don't think it was the same car, but they they had an absolute replica in the the new James Bond film oh, right. where he goes back to Scotland and um, oh, I just can't remember the name of it I'll come back to it The Dress from My Fair Lady what? yeah that is a pretty um, I don't know Big dress. Yeah, with a very big hat. <laughs> Gigantic hat. And um, the last one I'll show you is the dress that Marilyn Monroe uh, Marilyn Monroe wore in The Seven Year Itch mm-hmm. when she was standing over the top of the subway, gr- subway mm-hmm. grate. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time a train went past, the wind would, would blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the 15 items. Okay. So let's come back to... Uh, Gandalf staff. This is number fifteen. So by now okay. you'll you'll I can give away now that Marilyn Monroe's white dress oh, is the most expensive item that yeah, we're going right. to get to. Okay, all okay. right. Gandalf staff. 
uh, from Lord of the Rings, $390,000. So what? I'll get the ball rolling here. Holy dooly. Not bad. To stick a wood with some white crap on it. That's it. He had a, <laughs> he had a couple of staffs mm. uh, throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and this is this is the one that sold for four hundred uh, for three hundred ninety thousand. Oh. So the General Lee, given that it was there was eighty six of them, mm-hmm. right? How much do you think they sold for um, US? Um, well, it has to be more than three hundred and eighty. Yeah. So let's go four fifty on the dot. Yeah. Absolutely on the dot. <laughs> um, Four hundred fifty thousand for the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard. Awesome. Okay, it's sold at. Um, they have a big auction in the states called Barretts or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and they often sell these memorabilia type cars there for stupid prices, okay, ridiculous, yeah. like the first ever Cobra mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, next one is the T eight hundred Terminator metal model. So it's full life size. And we're talking more than four hundred, more than four fifty, fifty thousand. Jesus! <clears throat> All right, I'm, I'm reckon, I reckon it's not much more. So it's not going to double it or anything. So I reckon it's five hundred thousand, four hundred eighty-eight. Oh, okay. All right. So you were right in that it's not much. It wasn't much more. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Next one is a big one. This one's got some great history to it because mm. um, when the commemorative uh, releases so this came is the, out this last is the year, this right? is the DeLorean. Yes, yeah. from Back to the Future. Um, if you get a chance, check out the documentary. Um, I don't have the name with me, but it's a documentary that was released with all the commemorative releases of the film. I think last year mm-hmm. was a major milestone, maybe twenty year anniversary or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe 30 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes into uh, the story of the DeLorean and how um, one of them got bought and was sort of looked after and raised in price, but another one, out of very few, mm-hmm. got stuck on the back lot on the tour. You know, in LA where you do the tour in Hollywood's in um, uh, in the studios there where you. You go past the shark. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes yeah, yeah. down and the yeah. shark you know, scares the people in the bus. Oh, what's it called? There's no for it. There's, there's a, it's, yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the backlot tour. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the DeLorean from the film was stuck. It started out, I think, prominent at mm-hmm. the front of the, the tour, the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Then by the time, um, you know, a little bit of time went past, it got stuck right at the back. It was left out in the rain, uh-huh. right? There was, it wasn't covered. Mm-hmm. There was spiders and squirrels <laughs> living in it and, and like, it just massively, uh, it just fell to pieces. And a guy came along um, with another few enthusiasts and approached the studio and said, we want to restore it. Mm-hmm. And, and cool. And, um, and so they did. And, and it's all detailed in that documentary. You mm-hmm. definitely have to check it out. I'll, I'll bring in the name of it next week. Because it's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good retrospective look at the film and the fandom. Mm-hmm. It, it looks at um, fan um, rock bands, all sorts <laughs> right. of people getting married and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, around the memorabilia and all sorts of stuff. So Americans do weird things. But it, so do we all, I guess. So, guess the, uh, the DeLorean... All right, price, so the price of a, a, a legitimate movie DeLorean, not not, not a replica, because the, there are thousands of these that exist all over the planet. Mm, like what people make their own DeLoreans that are done oh, like this, okay, like they yeah. do. The, yeah, yeah, they literally. I imagine somebody sells a kit or something or other. You could buy off. There the, probably is. Yeah, 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 okay. Flux capacitor. Yeah, yeah. 
there's kind of not a lot to it. There's a big thing on the back, and there's the wires that go up the sides. Yeah, and there's flashy lights inside. All right. Um, all right, so I think we've got to crack the 500. <clears throat> um, again, I'm not thinking too much, but 550? Pretty close. 541. Ah, right. Okay. 541. <laughs> so... Over half a million yeah, you're yeah. paying for, for that car, for a DeLorean, <laughs> right, which is considered one of the ugliest cars ever created, <laughs> ever made. But you would never suggest that to a DeLorean owner. But it's got the coolest doors ever made. <laughs> the gullwing <laughs> gull doors. You can get those um, custom onto any car nowadays. They, they, there's always some company or shop somewhere on the planet that will take your car mm-hmm. and turn it into those doors. <laughs> um, so the next one. This one. So okay. this is. Oop. So it's the. It's the Enterprise Next Gen uh, D. It's the NCC seventeen oh one D, or known as the Enterprise D from Next Generation. It's a three foot by three foot original model that they used um, for the for the VFX um, shot with motion control in the TV series. All right. Um, so it's made out of plastic. One would think so, yeah. So there's a rather large lump of plastic that we're trying to price here because it's in a particular shape. Um, I mean, it's not even the DeLorean. At least should move under its own. You steam. could drive it. You could, you could hire it <laughs> you out get for weddings. The shops and pick up some yeah. milk or something or other. This probably just sits in somebody's glass case. <clears throat> in a very thick steel mm. glass case. I think it still lights up. I think there's it's it's you can still plug it LEDs. in and all the little yeah, yeah. all the little lights and windows and everything light up. Okay, so <clears throat> my spider sense says that if this cracked six hundred thousand, I'd have a uh, I'd have. Not so much hope for humanity. So we'll stay under 600 and we'll sort of split it a little bit and we'll say 580. Pretty close, 576. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. So if we were on prices right, I think you'd be in the final money there. That was awesome. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh it's good to know that something in the VFX realm as mm. well is going for that sort of price. But still, yeah, it's quite amazing. It's it? a big chunk of plastic. Yeah, yeah, it's a big expensive With, chunk of plastic. Now, this is an interesting one. This this mm. this is the movie camera that was that you was used to shoot Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? It's known as George Lucas's um, Star Wars uh, Panavision camera. Yeah, yeah. Now, the person that bought this is a very interesting person. Mm-hmm. It's have you ever heard of Debbie Reynolds? Yes. Debbie Reynolds is Carrie Fisher's mother. Uh, okay. She has a collection. She's of what? Of movie memorabilia. She started buying movie memorabilia a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And she's considered, uh, well, she, her collection was considered one of the best mm-hmm. um, with Hollywood memorabilia. And she bought this camera. It was. It, I don't know whether it's her that paid the price that I've got on my list, but at some point she owned that camera. Okay. So we're talking about Princess Leia's mum in real life. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that she went and bought that camera. Mm. But anyway, mm. all right. So she, she's also she's also the owner of one of the other items on this list. Huh. So two of the top fifteen things that were sold in the memorabilia world okay. were owned by Debbie Re- Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, right. Where did she make all her money? She she was she's been around for a bit. She was in oh, Debbie Reynolds. Um, 
I don't know. We can look film. I'll come back to it. She was in some. I think she might have been in some Hitchcock films. She was certainly prolific, and the husband was also. I think she married Money as well, who was mm. a, maybe an actor or director. Or the, mm. the husband was famous as well. I can only ever remember Debbie Reynolds in relation to Carrie Fisher. You certainly must have a bit of money to spin around if you're going to Absolutely. Buy yeah. All right. So I think, yeah, we probably have to be hovering around 600,000 now. So I, I'd say 600,000, perhaps a little bit higher. 625. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 625 they paid for that. And that's the one that shot New Hope. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, cameras probably progressed since from between those two films. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the exact camera that was used to uh, to shoot New Hope, which is a pretty cool piece of memorabilia for fans, mm. isn't it? Mm. You wonder if the ghost of New Hope is still in that camera somewhere, <laughs> it, it lurking around is. in one of the corners down the bottom somewhere. Yeah. Maybe maybe George bought it back, mm. and he just sits in dark dark space <laughs> with it. Strokes <laughs> it. Just rubbing it. <laughs> Bring my magic back. Yeah. Bring my magic back. Um, Click so his the, heels. <laughs> yeah. So the next one is uh, the ruby slippers from Wizard of Oz. Right. Wow. Um, There's a big film. This is a big film. Box office, uh, all-time box office. Yeah. Adjusted. Mm. It's top ten, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, uh, and it's cited everywhere from, you know, for examples of script writing and storytelling and um, cinematography special and special effects. Yeah. Rear projection. Yeah. did rear projection, stuff like that. Um, so, again... How much effort was put into making the ruby slippers? I don't know whether they just dipped them in glue and just chucked <laughs> yeah, yeah, red, red shiny shit red at them. Glue, cho- or yeah. they hand every single rhinestone is hand stitched on there or something. Um, it wouldn't matter because the real value is the filmic um, fan value. Mm. I can tell you that this is not the main pair, right? Oh, the, right. the price that I've got here is not for the main pair. The main pair was stolen from the from the Judy Garland Museum. Okay. Currently, when they were stolen, they were worth three million. Shit. Okay. And they there is currently a one million dollar reward uh-huh. for, for the real pair. When, when were they? These stolen? were sort of the extra, extra, like the backup pair. Okay. Production. Did they appear on the? In the movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. These are the stunt pair. Yeah, she could have danced in them yeah, or something yeah. like that. And then the hero pair would have been the bling pair for yeah, the close-up. Yeah, for that shot probably. For the, the close-up, yeah, It's on the screen. Yeah. All right. Um, so, 625. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'll call it 650. 660. So, you're pretty close. Mm-hmm. I was going higher there. Yeah. I was thinking they'd probably push up a little bit higher, but... Yeah. Yeah, six sixty. Wow, it's, it's it's a lot of money for a pair of shoes, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah. not even the real. They, they were the also ran pair of shoes. Yeah, yeah, the the second pair of shoes. Um, next one, Audrey Hepburn's dress from uh, from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm slightly fascinated by the quality of these objects because mm. you'd have to imagine that they didn't make it to last no. they didn't make it to it's just got to do that's the job for the movie too. and then that's it's, done I think there would have been a balance in that nowadays clothes are made to perish right they're, okay, they're, yeah. they're, they're designed that mm-hmm. way um, otherwise not wouldn't make money mm. um, the the quality was different in those days mm-hmm. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you could buy a suit and be wearing it for 20 years yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there's no way you could do that now mm. so that offset with the fact that it's a movie Item, mm. 
would probably come out at a fairly good quality thing and the fact that you wouldn't be wearing it all. Mm-hmm. You'd be just sitting in a glass cage. Mm. All right. Um, my, uh, I can tell you it's a, bigger, it's a bigger jump than the last couple. Well, I would have said it was a bigger jump, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, fashion industry, I imagine the people have the money to spend. So I reckon we're up to 700000 792 Whoa. And I think that's because you've got the movie crowd and yeah. the fashion crowd yeah, and yeah. that crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably somebody designed it mm. that might, might have gone on to be a designer mm-hmm. or might have been a designer to start with. They might have brought brought in a designer to, to to design the dress. Probably a classic sort of fashion item that people Absolutely. reference all the time. So, yeah. And I know that she is referenced in that film, like when people talk of her in that film, it's, mm. it's like this this pivotal, elegant lady mm. movie moment, mm. you know, with yeah. the, you know, the breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm. Um, so... Oh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang wasn't the greatest movie in the world. It's a terrible movie. It's a movie about a car. <laughs> <laughs> the car doesn't talk. There's no... True, it doesn't... There's no computers. Like, it can't, can't track the villain. No, no. <laughs> but it can fly. Yeah. And it can float. Yes. In the film. Yes. Pretty sure this car couldn't do any of those things. No. It does look pretty cool as a steampunk oh. kind of... Vehicle, that's it, for sure. It's the epitome of steampunk, isn't it? Mm. Like, it's, there's there's a balance of metal, mm. uh, there's chrome, chrome brass, um, wood, wood, and leather, and kind of pointless things on it, like the yeah. lights or the the, yeah. the exhaust or the extra grills and stuff that are all over it. It it is the steampunk car, isn't it? Yeah, Even it is. without trying, mm. they, they didn't try. But mm. if you were to make a steampunk car, it's always going to come out looking like that, isn't mm. it? Or a modern version, of yeah, yeah, bang bang. So what do you reckon? I actually like how the windscreen is a square rectangle sitting on a curved surface. And they're all like, yeah, screw it. We're just going to stick this rectangle on this curved surface. We don't care that it doesn't fit. We don't care that there's gaps. (laughs) Yeah, it's just going to be a thing. All right. Um, I can't imagine that we can be going too much higher than the uh, the previous one, the dress. But that was what? What did you say? 792. 792. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to put it at um, just a bit over 8. Let's say 810. 805. Ah, yeah. So you're still pretty close. <laughs> if you started with an account and you had to give me all the money you were out, yeah. you still got a lot of money left. <laughs> all right. Cool, cool. <laughs> Whoever bought that's an awesome legend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the life-size underwater, um, on-the-water version of the Lotus mm-hmm. um, from James Bond. Oh, I can't remember even what movie that was from. Um, but I remember the scene where he's hiding in the, under the water and there's a helicopter. Yep. Uh, and he launches, oh, that's right, he's got a missile. launches a missile right. uh, up yeah. and it takes out the helicopter that's, yeah, uh, yeah. that's above it. The thing that's always funny about um, Q and James Bond is, and even as a kid when watching these movies, I could tell that these things are all, you know, plot devices. You know, it's obvious that Q had been reading the script yes. before he put the yeah. device in the car. For just such a time, <laughs> yeah. whenever you're underwater and there's a helicopter above you, yeah, yeah. here's a rocket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Notice yeah. the doors ajar. 
Is it? Yeah, I've seen it behind the scenes before. There's guys in scuba scuba outfits in there. <laughs> right, okay. It's completely flooded. Yeah. Um, so it's really just an underwater device with some uh, propellers at the back of it. Uh-huh. And it works. It literally works. It's just not, um, there's Water no tight. air pocket yeah, inside. And I don't think, you, I think you'd struggle to do that because the, the atmospheres that increase as you go down in mm-hmm. depth. You have to have a sphere or a tube. As mm-hmm. soon as you have these, see these right angles and the big flat surfaces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they don't last real no, well under no. pressure. <laughs> Just as a side note, last night I watched Das Boot. Oh, Das Boot, the, yeah. um, the U-boat. The U-boat, German submarine, World War. So, anyway, <clears throat> that's a great movie. We should talk about that sometime. But we're here to price this guy. Yep. So, 810. Um... Do we go up a lot or do we go yeah, up a, a little? Jump. Bit of a jump. All right. Um, I imagine it'll be slightly higher, but I'll, I'll call it eight fifty. Nine twenty. Holy shit! Actually, it was the spy who loved me. Spy who loved me. Okay. Is the, uh, where the plot in the film was these big ocean tankers that were they, the front of the tanker would open yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. And then they right. would literally um, eat other ships, eat a submarine. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and oh, the, the submarine. That's, yeah, right. that's right. And the bad that's guy right. would take all the missiles and the, everything <clears> off the submarine um, and repurpose them to, to literally use the submarines to go out and launch and create a world war. Yeah. And the big, uh, big rescue scene with James Bond rescuing the crews and it's just a big uh, orders, automatic Weapon, machine gun fight, machine yeah. gun fight inside this big thing. I always, rem- oh, yeah, I, I remember that, and I always used to sort of remember those poor guys in the sub. For some reason, I like felt you know, there's. I think there was a couple of there's like a Russian one, yep. and there was a British that's one, right. and, and maybe a Chinese or something, something like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, trying to start a world war. Yeah, that's right. Ah, oh, you poor guys, just doing your job, and you got eaten by a giant ship. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it was the first time we saw Jaws, the the, the henchman with the big metal teeth. The first time I saw Jaws was at the drive-in, pretty sure, and... Um, oh, you mean the movie Jaws? The movie with Shark? No, 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 yeah, no, no. The big metal teeth. Yeah. Metal teeth he was in two. He was in Moonraker. Yeah, yeah. And then he ended up jumping the shark, actually. In and Moonraker. Is that when it shark. happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. He got a bit silly. And he, and he fell in love with yeah, the that little midget ponytails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Every time I put that movie on, Leanne, she just shakes her head at me. It's just the worst film ever. <laughs> Remember I was telling you, like, there's an 80s period where film does weird shit with sound. Yeah. And um, in the middle of a fight sequence, there's this big fight sequence with, between uh, James Bond and, and Jaws. Mm-hmm. And there's no music, and yeah, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just scuff sounds of their f- shoes on the. And every now and then you'll get a, you know, and scuff, <laughs> and it's the most boring shit you'll ever see. Yeah, it's just, she says it's guaranteed to knock her out every time. We got to check that out um, and have a look at that in detail. But my first time seeing Jaws, I think, was at the drive-in. It might have been the drive-in, might not have been. Um, I must have been pretty young at the time. And um, I do remember that Jaws grabbed a hold of some guy in a phone booth yep. and then proceeded to bite his neck yep. to death. Yes. 
And that was enough for me yeah. as a five-year-old or whatever. And Absolutely. I was like, nah, nah, I'm out. Even though there was, there was no blood, there was no, you know no, what I mean? It might have been a trickle or yeah, something yeah, or rather, yeah. just a little drop or something. But it freaked you out. No, it freaked the shit out of me. I was out. We had to go home after that. He became the un- the indestructible nemesis, the, the mm. henchman. Like yeah. You couldn't kill him. Yeah. They, they kept trying to, he kept sort of coming out of the rubble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Even after the, that's right, that's when it, you fell out of space and yeah. somehow ended up. Yeah, he survived. Yeah. He still survived. Um, so, yes, 920000 for the Lotus submarine. Crazy. So the next one is the entire ensemble outfits from The Sound of Music, from all the kids, from the classic Do-Re-Mi sequence, where they're on bikes and all, right. yeah, all that shit. So, if I had money that I didn't know what to do with, and I had so much money that I was like... Someone oh, did, because one person bought the whole collection. I would not be the person that buys a bunch of drab... Brown dresses. This is this is a big jump. This is a big, big, are you serious? It's a big jump from nine hundred and twenty thousand. So we're up probably over a mil. Yes. For some sandals, uh, a few brown dresses, some Lederhosen, a good pair of Lederhosen. <laughs> All right. So we're definitely over a mil. Let's go. Look, keep my faith in humanity. One point two, and I'm not going a penny higher. Well, you should have gone a bit penny higher because it was one point five million dollars. Fucking hell! For that collection, and at one point it was owned by one person, mm. um, and may still be owned by one person, I believe. Mm. But um, it's a it's an entire collection. Like it's it's not just individual ones. It's the, it's the whole, whole family's outfits. You can imagine the breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, people are like, "This is fashionista. This yeah. is awesome." Yeah. Timeless. But these are brown dresses and Absolutely. sandals and socks with and that, sandals. I think that's an indicator of the mu- of the movie, mm-hmm. of the connection that people have with this movie. I never got it. Um, you hear about you hear Koshi on the on the, in the morning shows. He's always banging on about the sound yeah. of music's greatest mu- movie ever made. And some people just have this connection to this film. Mm-hmm. I never got it. No, nah. it just bored the hell out of me. Didn't have enough laser beams in it for me. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Um, so yes, one point five million dollars. So the cowardly lion costume from The Wizard of Oz. Mm. Another big jump. All right. Um, before we go there, though, that has to be the most ugly, horrible, mottled-looking, unpleasant object. I put it to you, that's lion skin. <laughs> you reckon? It could potentially be lion skin, couldn't it? Well, look at the, the hands and the claws. They in look the th- fairly In the 30s, man, they were making films. They were killing lions when, when the gladiators fought the lions and stuff like that. Mm. They were real stuntmen fighting real lions that weren't even trained. <laughs> oh, like, they were doing some crazy stuff in the 30s and the 20s. Um, and I would, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that most of this outfit is probably made by real lion, but that's just a guess. Well, the, the, the paws, they look pretty authentic. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Yep. Um, okay, so we've got a big jump and we're going up from 1.5. Yeah. We, I suppose that means we're cracking two. And again, really mm-hmm. cracking two plus. Yep. Okay, forgetting my faith in humanity, I'll go 2.8. $3 million <sighs> for the lion outfit from The Wizard of Oz. Maybe it might have been a one-off as well. It may there may have only been one of a kind mm-hmm. um, 
that they that they might not have had. I think if you have num four or five of them, mm-hmm. it reduces the price of any one. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. Less unique, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so yes, three million for that one. The. Aston Martin, uh, Sean Connery's uh, Aston Martin DB5 from Goldfinger and Thunderball. Okay, so we know that the Lotus actually does go underwater. Yes. So does this actually have working gizmos I believe so, yes. in there? I believe so, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, most of them, um, with the exception of maybe the ejector seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you see that little light, um, there's a little tiny light under the headlights mm-hmm. on the front. Um, they fold out and actual machine guns come out the front of it. <laughs> there isn't enough room to get from the lights to the tyre. They're yeah. a very short machine Yeah, gun. very short. <laughs> All right, but Q's a genius. I'm yes. sure he'll make it go around the corner. Absolutely. It even had the number plate that, uh, oh, that's right. that flipped around yes. so that you could hide in a crowd. Yes, yes. It was awesome. So it's over. this one is over three million. All right, so... Do we jump or do we not jump? That's the question. How crazy are people? No, people are not that crazy. 3.4. 3.7. Whoa. 3.7 million. People are much crazier than I'm giving them Absolutely. credit for. Notice there's yeah. a trend. What's Outfits trend? and cars. Are the most expensive. Outfits and cars seem to be populating this list. Mm, see, that is an interesting trend. Yeah, cost- costumes and cars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not many things in the list that isn't a costume and car or a car. Yeah, right. Um, next one is the outfit from My Fair Lady. Ugly looking thing. Look at the shower cap thing she's got under there. Um, so if you're not, if you if you can't see this, if you listen to this on a podcast, at least take the time to have a look at the dress that I'm referring to, because <laughs> it's it's got lace bits, it's in hideous. places, it's got bows <laughs> just shoved everywhere. The hat is like a like a hot air balloon crashed into a campsite. <laughs> It's like insane. Is, is that the? She got an umbrella. Yeah, it's a, that's, oh, it's, it's a parasol. I think oh, you call it parasol. Parasol that's made out of all of yeah. the lace that yeah. there is. All right, all right. Now uh, this is this is another quite a jump out from the three point seven for the Aston Martin. All right, five million dollars. Four point one. Okay, four million one hundred. Okay, which brings us the number one, which is the dress that Marilyn Monroe wore in the seven-year itch. All right, so... Very famous, iconic image. And a pretty nice piece of fashion. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, pretty nice piece of actress as well. (laughs) There's an ensemble thing going there. You could get away with wearing that right now. Yes, I could. You could easily go to a... Not you and I. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you could easily see that at the, at the Hyatt on a on a Saturday that's night right, at a wedding, right. wedding function or something. Okay, so I've I've already learned from the uh, from the breakfast at Tis- Tiffany's dress. So what are we up to at the moment? I forgot. The last already. one was four point one million for the uh, ugly looking My Fair Lady dress. Okay, nineteen million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just blown all of your money. You've gone you've gone all in, <laughs> and the deal has gone. Thank you very much. Four point six million. 4.6 million. Okay. Which, as the number one item, mm. and I checked it on a couple of different sites mm. that, that were spruiking the top 10, top mm. 15, whatever, um, I sort of averaged them out over a couple of sites. Mm. That one s- seems to be the number one mm-hmm. across the board. Um, 
I I thought it would have been higher. Yeah, not, I would maybe not for that dress, but I just thought four, what four point six would have been higher for the number one memorabilia item. That's kind of why I guess nineteen, because I reckoned it might have been seven or something. I yeah. could imagine somebody paying after seeing all whatever they're paying for that other stuff. I yeah. imagine somebody paying. And it's, I'm not sure of the market. I don't know whether it fluctuates too much relative to the financial crisis and all sorts of things. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe these prices are right now, and mm. then you know you go five years into the future or into the past, it's a different price. Mm. Um, but I think the the ranking is is mm. correct. So whether they move, I think they'll all move together um, somewhat. My prediction is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang will not hold its value over time. No, no, I don't think so either. <laughs> These dresses and things, I reckon, will. They Aaron will, Lamar, yeah. Those dresses and, and stuff. And the Aston Martin, I think, in the submarine Lotus, I think, would probably hold it a little longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, if, it's weird to see that, apart from the Enterprise and I the wouldn't imagine Terminator, the Enterprise would hold its value. Well, you've got Gandalf's staff, the Terminator and the Enterprise, and George Lucas's camera. Everything else is an outfit mm. or a car. Yeah, interesting, eh? Mm. Out of the 15. So if you're looking to invest in So does that mean the guys buy the cars and the chicks buy the dresses? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the guys buy all of it. Maybe the girls. Well, Debbie Reynolds. I'm pretty sure there'd be nerds who'd buy all of it, who'd buy anything. Debbie Reynolds owned one of those dresses. Um, she either owned the Aubrey oh, Hepburn okay. dress or... Maybe the cowardly lion, but she owned another object in this mm-hmm. list other than the uh, George Lucas camera. So that's the uh, that was the name that price memorabilia game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether we'll we'll revisit. Um, so let's just have a look here. Last week uh, at the end of the show, I showed you this here. Let's just have a quick look. So this is, this the is what you call a mould, and this got and this fine holes hole all the way through it. Way through to, suck, it. to suck the air all yeah. the way through all this, way through this is going to pull going to pull the molten plastic, the molten down, plastic well. down as well. So and I'm going to suck the vacuum out. Yeah. Slide out, slide out, and it's off. It's off. It's such an awesome thing. Mm. So. What I showed you last week was the uh, the so, guy so that actually they were making a stormtrooper helmet. They were right? making a stormtrooper helmet using vacuum forming. So um, the process is you mould, uh, you create a, a model. Mm. Um, in this instance, he used wax, mm-hmm. um, this hard paraffin wax that, mm-hmm. that, that is really hard, but it's actually quite easy to chisel and okay. to to form. That's what he used to create the actual shape mm-hmm. um, of the of the stormtrooper mask. I think the dome of the helmet was taken from a 1940s World War II military helmet uh, for a seaman, for, for like, oh, yeah, a, um, yeah. like you would expect to find it on a battleship, uh-huh. a Navy helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the dome part, and mm-hmm. then the, the, the face part was actually modelled in, in, in wax. And then what they do is they, they create a, a mould, uh, a cast, they take a cast of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and once they've cast it, they heat the cast to melt the wax out. 
So now they yeah. have a hollow cast okay. of the shape. Now they can pour metal into it. Uh-huh. And once they pour the metal into it, they can poke holes or drill holes that will go through. So when the vacuum form process happens, it will suck air evenly through the whole surface of the of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so vacuum forming was actually used quite heavily in, in the early Star Wars props and, and 70s and 80s props in general. Mm-hmm. They still use vacuum form today. So last week I showed you uh, this guy, um, Andrew Ainsworth, and he was the guy that was actually tasked by Lucas to come up with the the outfit, Mm -hmm. to build the outfit and design the outfit based on, I would say, Ralph McQuarrie paintings, Ralph McQuarrie images from from the Star Wars pre-production process. Mm, okay. Because the, the actual outfit is not that dissimilar to what we saw in the Ralph McQuarrie paintings. Okay. Um, but enough, different enough that this guy could, at a later date, as I mentioned last week, claim ownership. Um, so as the story goes... <clears throat> Hang on, is Ralph McQuarrie the guy who did the, the concepts for it? Plus, I, I, like I remember, there's a Darth Vader, that a really early concept art for Darth Vader. Yeah, with the um, it's a lot leaner it's almost, and yeah, a bit it's more almost like a crossover. The organic, the, the Darth Vader that he designed. Um, yeah, that this, one. This one here. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Sideshow Collectibles have made a uh, model model of it. Absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah. You, you can even get the figures now. Mm. You can get action okay. figures, Star mm. Wars figures, that are based on Ralph McQuarrie's designs mm-hmm. and not from the film. Yep. Um, so Ralph McQuarrie uh, designed a lot of the iconic imagery that we that we know as Star Wars, mm. and they're still building things in the in the new uh, Force Awakens um, mm. that comes directly from Ralph McQuarrie's designs. He was brilliant. I think he was an uh, ex-NASA illustrator, so he had the ability to do beautiful perspective drawings, perspective Mm -hmm. artwork, but he had this ability to put very small against very large and this juxtaposition of these little tiny characters against this big chasm or Mm -hmm. this big hangar. Mm -hmm. Um, He was brilliant. There were six or seven images that he did that sold the picture. Lucas took those images to Fox and Fox gave the money and they went and sold the picture. Without Ralph McQuarrie, I don't think we would have Star Wars. Yeah, right. Wow. He's brilliant. The sad thing about Ralph McQuarrie is that the one disease that you don't want to get when you when your hand is your art, is, is your life, mm-hmm. is um, Parkinson's. Yeah, right. And that's what he got. And, and so he lost the ability to actually do the one thing that the world remembers him for. But an incredible mark he left on the planet. Mm. This image here is, um, is one of his. And... Um, Anthony Daniels that came on to do C-3PO was came on because of this image. He just saw the soul of this character in, mm. in this thing. Um, but yeah, Ralph McQuarrie probably would have created the initial design for the Stormtrooper outfit. Yep. But this guy had to realise the design and mm. he had to interpret mm-hmm. Ralph McQuarrie's design. So, you might have heard of the original Stormtrooper. Uh, are we talking about a website here? Yep, the, yeah. the website, the original Stormtrooper. I have heard of. Now, I have gone for a bit of a cruise around the internet yep. in search of uh, Stormtrooper helmets and this type of stuff, mm-hmm. and I've come cr- come past here, and what I was trying to do 
was trying to find an authentic um, Stormtrooper helmet because there's a lot out there. You can buy oh, yeah. all sorts of different ones. Well, I just showed you how to make one, and, <laughs> you, and you can make a vacuum form press in your garage. They're mm. very easy to make. So there's clearly some that are not authentic. Yes. Um, and there's clearly some that I've seen around that, uh, yeah, pretty cheap knockoffs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I did come across here, but I didn't have any way to tell which was the real fed income one or the most fed income one versus some crappy knockoff. Yeah. I can tell you confidently that if you bought one from this site, mm. it's a fed income one. Okay. So this, this is the, this original the real McCoy. Store, original store trooper. This is uh, an Ainsworth <clears throat> site, which, oh, okay. is, which is the guy. Now, the interesting thing about the Stormtrooper, um, this story, is that he wanted to do some study at some point and he needed some money. Mm-hmm. So he started to sell Stormtrooper outfits, mm-hmm. Stormtrooper helmets, and for a bit of extra cash. Well, Lucas found out about it and decided to... Crush him. Crush him, like he, <laughs> like he has done so many times with so many... So many he, he's a very cutthroat operator when it comes to... Market ownership of these sorts of things. He's a very cutthroat mega billionaire who yeah. has more money than you can poke a stick at. Yeah, still wants to crush, crush the small one. Maniacal. He's turned into the freaking emperor or something. Or other. Um, anyway, <laughs> he um, he tried to put a stop to it. Well, this guy Ainsworth took it to court. British court. Okay, yeah. That's different. British court, best court. Different, different <laughs> courts. Um, there's certain things I wouldn't like to end up in, in British court for, like um, libelous. They've got um, mm. slander laws mm. in, in England. They take that shit very seriously. Mm-hmm. So I can't call you a pedophile mm. unless it's proven, mm. unless, unless I have rock-solid evidence that you're a pedophile. Mm. I can only say alleged. You know, yeah. I can... I can um, I can dance around it with words, but I've got to be very careful. Right in the states, you can say whatever the hell you want. Yeah, and yeah. hence the Trump campaign and <laughs> everything around it. So they took it to court. Ainsworth won, and when asked how much did it cost to take George Lucas to court, he wouldn't say. But then they said, "So we're we talking tens of thousands." He quickly interrupted and said, "The millions." So it cost him millions to one to win the the case, and it was based on the premise that the way he explains it, it sounds a bit weird. He's talking about well, you can't take away a creation from a person, mm. um, but then later on in the piece that I was watching, it sort of explains that it was declared a piece of industrial design. I don't quite know how that works. Um, Pay $10 million to a lawyer and it'll work. I don't know. I don't, well, yeah, and it could be literally the judges, you know, English judges in an English court, English plaintiff, yeah, yeah. American conglomerate, American wealthy millionaire, yeah. jab of the heart. Um, so they found in his favour. And now the only person legally that can sell you a, an original, authentic Stormtrooper outfit is that guy, is Ainsworth. So, I don't know, that's a bit weird. I mean, copyright, you can only copyright something that you've made, right? Yeah. So, is the Stormtrooper considered to be made in the film or in the vacuum factory? I think. Because George has control of the film and Ainsworth has control of the factory. George George would have had control of the original concept art. This mm. is the only, the only sense I can make of it mm. is... George has the concept art done uh. by Macquarie. He approaches a guy that builds stuff. Yeah. He, I think he did costumes for other films and things like that. He's a prop builder. 
So he approached this guy and he said, look, I need outfits for stormtroopers, whatever. Here's the design. Mm-hmm. Well, the design is copyrighted to Lucasfilm mm-hmm. because Macquarie would have been working for Lucasfilm when he designed them. But creating them is industrial. That's an industrial process because you have to make hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah. At least tens of them. You know, it's probably yeah. about a hundred, maybe. Yeah. And so that process is is a production process. So you have to make the molds. You have to make the process. Mm. You have to create the process mm. to make it. And that's industrial design, mm. where you're not just designing a product. You're designing the way it's built. Yep. That's how I think he won the thing. He, he owns the right to make them. Well, he's certainly up on the internet here making them and selling them. So Yeah. yeah. He's making a fortune out of them, I would say, because he's selling well, those for he's 500. he's got to make a fortune out of them because the lawyers have got him by the balls for the next <laughs> 50 years. He's got to be pumping these things out. And and see, he also owns the Rebel Helmets and he, he owns the TIE Fighter yeah, yeah. because they're all based on the same thing. <laughs> and from what I can tell, he owns the Darth Vader Helmets. Mm. What a scoop that is, eh? <laughs> Look, this is when, when you were saying, you know, I've got all of this memorabilia, what, and I thought it was the Star Wars memorabilia. Yeah. What's going to be the most expensive? It has to be Darth Vader's helmet, right? Well, not, not when this guy's pumping them out of the thousand of, you know. <laughs> but I'm talking about the original. Oh, from the front, yeah, yeah. And it probably would be sitting in the... We, what we're not seeing is the Lucas collection. He's got his own collection. Mm. And that stuff is... Have you seen the... He's got like a barn that's humidically... Um, Protected or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sealed and and climate controlled right. and all this sort of stuff. Um, the original half constructed Death Star from from Return of the Jedi is there. Yeah, yeah. There's a few behind the scenes stuff. If you if you ever get the Blu-ray collection of the Star Wars films, mm. there's oh, there's at least thirty or forty hours of extra features mm. on it. Some of it goes into the the member the collection. Mm. I noticed uh, noticed down here is uh, R2D2. Seriously? Yeah, so an authentic R2-D2 has to come from this guy here. I checked into here. He's got buzz balls. Um, Ainsworth, he's a designer. Like He's an industrial designer. Buzz balls are tennis balls that make sound for blind people that want to play tennis. Oh. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. I'd love to see it. I'd absolutely love to see it. Uh, It'd be an interesting thing to see. But, yeah, um, there's a few things that he gets into. But all roads lead to Ainsworth, uh, this one address in England. All right, so what do you uh, what do you expect to pay for a uh, uh, stormtrooper helmet? Shall we say we've got this one here, five hundred and ninety-eight pounds sterling. Okay, now they have different ones on here. This is a this is a original stormtrooper hero helmet in display case combo. So what does original mean? Original copy of the original. He, it's, it's a from, hero helmet cast from the original 1976 okay. mold. So it's, so it's all about the mold. Prop. It's not an actual prop. It's it's all about the mold. Okay. Now somewhere out there is the original helmets. Yeah. They would be worth considerably more than 580 bucks mm. if they were proven. Like if they came with their own paperwork, mm. they'd be worth considerably more. Wouldn't um, it be cool if you got the the one where that guy banged his banged head, his head on the roller door with and the scuff on it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd, I'd pay seventeen million dollars for that one. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, cool. Hang on, just before you leave, what, what else? What, what else? If you're not, if you want to have an El Cheapo one from Ainsworth, if you're not, it's a good question. If you don't have seventeen million dollars or even five hundred, we are paying two hundred and two hundred and ninety nine for a standard helmet. <laughs> 
we click on the Stormtrooper, where is it? The original. And we go helmets. We get these options here. Mm. And the cheapest one there is $299. Okay. So the cheapest authentic helmet mm. is £299. Sorry. I'm pretty sure side, Sideshow collect, Collectibles are selling life-size busts of things like a TIE Fighter yeah. pilot helmet. They would have to be reproductions. They're reproductions. So they would be not... They would have to be licensing them from somebody. Yeah. Maybe even Ainsworth. Well, yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe. Um, I think you can reproduce based on the film. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you... But you won't be able to put it as an authentic product. Mm. It's a reproduction. Okay. Um, And then, yeah, because they must make a lot of these. Because he's using his process, I suppose. They've got an original Stormtrooper glimmer of new hope for £899 sterling. So we're getting up close to two grand here. Uh, Oz, this one is uniquely numbered helmet signed by the maker Andrew Ainsworth. Supplied with display case made of chrome, 2.5mm acrylic capped chrome. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty special. So they might have a very limited number of these ones as well. All right, well, I'm going to go home tonight and just check my bank account. <laughs> See if that $17 million got dropped in there. So he took the... Uh, well, this, this is the Rebel Troop. We made this from the standard tool we made for the, from the U.S. Marine Helmet. We thought we'd have these in white. A bit of the free-forming cut into a nice swoop, swoop shape, possibly. Look really good on the back there. And then I made a radio control box for communication. Just out of wood, washers, a bit of welding wire. Mated it to the side. And hey, presto, it was a new character. So iconic. So iconic. He got that big sweeping um, curve mm. by not um, sucking as much air through oh, the okay. vacuum form. Okay. So he still had the dome shape and he, he heated up the plastic. Maybe not. He probably didn't heat it as much. And then he doesn't suck as much air. And what happens is you get this sort of soft release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curve. It's a nice curve. And then when, when he releases we're, we're it... We're talking about the... He trims it along a specific line. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get the uh, the Rebel helmet from the opening Star Wars sequences. Yeah. And maybe that's more of an argument about the process that he's using to yeah. create these things. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, in fact, he was just like free-form, creative... Um, he was. It was the creation process that, pro- that prompted all of the offshoots. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, yeah, he yeah, started yeah. with Stormtrooper and just started sticking together in different it. ways. Yeah, just yeah. varying the original concept. And the two things that comes out of that is it feels like it belongs yeah, to the yeah. to the to Good that point. universe, but also um, you've already got your method worked out. You yeah. just it's just and it's the same mold mm. that you're using for the skull part mm. of uh, of other helmets. Yeah, that is really cool. So he's a smart guy. He's yeah. a very smart guy. So uh, yes, it costs millions of dollars, and now he owns it all. Which brings me to this section, and I, I want to finish off with this um, or this type of of prop memorabilia because of Comic Con and um, and cosplay. Yep. There's a big premium now for one-off unique replicas that people take to Comic-Con in their outfits and mm-hmm. their cosplay outfits and mm-hmm. things like that. So you've got these prop builders 
that are springing up overnight, learning from the masters via YouTube videos. And the, like you, you, you can go to the original Stormtroopers site and learn how to create the original Stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. He teaches you the whole process, mm-hmm. and it's the same for axes and knives and guns, and mm-hmm. it's all out there. Mm-hmm. There's something about we've we've mentioned it before. There's something about talented professional artists that they just are driven to share <laughs> their knowledge with everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now you've got a bunch of guys that are setting up their own little prop studios under their house and building their own vacuum mm-hmm. vacuform machines and building their own spray booths and things like that. And they're making these replicas. And so there's sites like this popping up all the time. This is Punish Props. These guys are fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a husband and wife team, um, Bill and Britt Doran. And he quite literally they quite literally just sit in their studio making these one-off prop replicas and um, wow. and outfits and things like that most of the time out of commission work yep. so people approach them because they've got a slight body of work they get approached and and I want you to make this mm-hmm. and, and he says okay well that'll cost this and he goes away and develops the moulds and does the whole thing and then shares how to do it all online <laughs> so there's this whole new it is this new um, body of people that mm-hmm. are starting to come through, learning mm-hmm. all this stuff mm-hmm. and having the ability, like this thing, that's mm-hmm. where I learned how to do this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. On film, if I took this thing off the back of it, mm-hmm. this gun looks real. On film, it looks real. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Yeah, like yeah. If you go close to it, you start to see, yeah? And so they, they play on that. Um, there's some really great stuff on, on his site. That's Punished Props. Definitely check it out. There's some really interesting videos there, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're interested in having a crack, mm. having a go. There's airbrushing stuff there. There's weathering stuff, uh, molding, prototyping, casting. Same too with Impact. Um, a lot of people have seen this um, video. It's a crazy video. There's this big trend at the moment of these these guys running through uh, uh, running through towns and cities and things like that. Okay, doing, all dressed up. Doing, doing weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but this guy's the same. He, he pretty much builds these these replicas um, from famous films and games and yeah. things like that as commissioned pieces uh, like Master Chief mm-hmm. from, uh, from Halo and things like that. But once again, lots of um, sharing videos, live mm. streams, things like that. There's big followings. Uh, this guy's got 40,000. The other... Um, Punished has 118,000 mm. followers, but a lot of views. Mm. If you look at that, they might not have as many followers, but man, they've got a lot of video views because mm-hmm. people want to see how to weather their stuff for, mm-hmm. for, for Comic Con. Now, this site, mm. I've promised to, and, and this is not it, but I've promised to really detail tested. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is not it. This is, this is basically, they do this sort of stuff as well. Tested is a is a YouTube channel, it's a website that's run by Adam Savage from Mythbusters, mm-hmm. who was a prop builder. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys from Mythbusters were prop, prop builders. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tested is all about new tech, gizmos, gadgets, but really, it's it's really grounded in film memorabilia and creating props. Um, there's a video here replicating the Martian spacesuit. That's um, a 10 parts, like it goes right through the process. He gets unprecedented access to real movie props. Mm. He even built the um, 
probably won't be able to find it here. But he even built the overland, the the maze from The Shining. Yeah, yeah, I'd actually the seen overland. that. That's, seen... that's in the Smithsonian. His, yeah. his build of it oh, okay. is in the Smithsonian. <laughs> Um, so it's really good. Even the, the monsters, he's building the monsters oh, that's from cool. the Star Wars. Look, I've seen one or two of his um, videos. One of them was the Shining one. And, um, yeah, I like his OCD levels, which yeah. are pretty damn high. It's you cool. know, It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, uh, you know, he puts a lot of effort in to get it right. Yeah. And he's not satisfied if it's not right. Yeah. His <laughs> workshop would be an incredible place to uh, to go and visit. We'll definitely come back and visit. But if you're interested in prop building, definitely check out Adam Savage's Tested. Mm. Um, the videos are brilliant. They have a regular podcast. It's definitely worth having a look at. This is an interesting one that I found. These are all props that are built by cardboard paper. <laughs> That's cool. And what you can actually do is download the, the plans. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so if we can see some of these, we're looking at this, the Kylo Ren helmet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you see it on film, it looks like the real McCoy. Yeah. Because he uses traditional weathering uh, techniques mm-hmm. and paints them very, you know, very realistically. But the reality is they're made of cardboard and they're mm. held together with sticky tape. Crazy. How many views and what, what's the... Yeah, so he's got 150,000 subscribers. You know, if you can do it at home... Yeah. That's awesome. It's it's really really cool. How he's doing this, I'm not too sure. I've got a feeling he's actually creating this helmet mm. in 3D. And then what he does is he takes the polygons uh-huh. and he flattens them out like we would UVW map it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And he sells that, and that's the plan. <laughs> and he just lays idea. it down on, on cardboard. He used the uh, dressmaker's sort of method, mm-hmm. and he just cuts them out. You can watch the video if I play this here. Um, might even just crank this up. All of these good ideas, they're, they're, I think the key to them is they're simple. So, yeah, if he's modelling it in 3D, then there's some sort of mapping or whatever to flatten it out yeah. and sell it to people. That's genius. It's, it's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you go through this whole process and ultimately you left with the Black Panther from the new Captain America Civil War. Mm. And when you see it all painted up, it's... It's fantastic. Like, uh, where's, where's his uh, Iron, Iron Man? Man there's the, there's the Black Panther's one there. Yeah. Uh, he does the traditional Wolverine cool. uh, from the comics. Mm. He even does the blades, the hand blades. Which <laughs> yeah. It's all cardboard. Cardboard hand blades. It's absolutely brilliant. There's there's helmets, there's um, there's cows, there's Magneto's helmet. Um, so, yeah, definitely check out. It's Dali, D-A-L-I. DIY. DIY, two words. Dali DIY. And it's it's brilliant. I love it. Well outside the box. Now I'm gonna we're gonna close out with this one. This is the last cool. one we want to have a look at. And we'll just play this one. So we're looking at a, a fight scene from a manga. Um, manga-esque uh, cartoon. I'm not across my manga, so I couldn't even tell you. Um, it's I'm Matt. I'm Perry. Perry. We are the Stagmer, we are the Stagmer Brothers, Stagmer. a Baltimore Kenner knife Sukers. and sword. sword from We're going to be building some of your favourite weapons. Kuro some weapons you've never seen before. This is so Man at Arms. The hell out Reforged. Of that. So basically, this is a series, mm-hmm. and it's called Man at Arms Reforged. And um, you can find the uh, YouTube channel AWE Space Me, mm. um, Superfan Builds. Basically, what you've got here is a blacksmith 
uh, group of guys and gals, um, and what they do is they replicate famous weapons using time-honoured traditional blacksmithing techniques. So this is a really good example that this sword... He, he's going to replicate this sword, but he doesn't just get a piece, a piece of metal and start... And grind it. And start banging <laughs> it out or, or grind it out of a solid piece of metal. There's a... Listen to this here. So what he's, what he's doing here is... No, no. Now that I have now my pieces flat, 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 flat,
Really? And then back around to the other hilt. Yeah. And it's not allowed to crack. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's not like it flexes back and it's magically okay. Yeah. He's actually wrecking the knife when yeah, he does yeah. that. But yeah. he can he then proves that it didn't crack when he did that. That's crazy. And that's the last test he does with the knife and he chucks it he away. throws it away. Yeah, but he's passed the course. He's wow. passed the test. Check this out. This is similar <clears> to what you're talking about there with the uh, the way it bends and everything. Watch this. This is in slow-mo. So he's re- lowering it into... And it's red hot. Uh, it's red hot. And he's, he's lowering it into... And watch the bend on it. Oh, yeah, it does bend. It bends the opposite direction yeah. towards the blade... And then as it cools, it comes back to its original position. Mm. And it's this process of, mm. of heating, cooling, heating, cooling, and mm. it gives it material memory. It mm. gives it its memory. And the also the combination of the hard steel in mm. certain areas and then a different slightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, he's, what he did there, um, I don't know whether you saw it, as it goes into the water, notice these bubbles all along here. Mm-hmm. What he does is he actually paints clay. Mm-hmm. Onto the back of it, okay, and then he puts it over the heat and lets that clay solidify. Um, and it's not major; he doesn't put it into the coals. He mm. just lets rests it over the top of the fire for a while, and the the clay solidifies while the whole rest of the sword actually gets warm mm. at a different rate to to the metal that's underneath this mm. clay. Mm. And by putting it in there, you're actually giving it the characteristics of of this strength and, and mm. this thing. It's a time-honoured traditional mm. art. But when it gets to the final sword, you can actually see the pattern inlaid into the sword from that clay treatment. See this swirliness across? Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. it across the top there. Mm. That's actually the back of the blade. Um the handle is made of uh, timber, as and it's got this sort of futuristic thing because that's from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. It is. You cannot take your eyes off this show <laughs> while you're watching it. Is and then they go out and they test it. Yeah, and they make sure yeah. that it, it can be used as a traditional um, a traditional weapon. Yeah, yeah, it actually works. Yeah. And these guys are weapons masters. These they quite literally they spend the whole day every day in a blacksmith forge mm. making weapons. Mm. It's awesome, huh? That's really cool. That's really cool. So definitely check out um, AWE, uh, two words, AWE, me, mm-hmm. uh, Superfan Builds, um, and the series that they're referring to, which by the look of it, the production value is way too high for it just to be a YouTube product, uh, Men at Arms Reforged. Definitely check it out. They do things like the uh, Fallout um, Blacksmith Challenge. They've got um, 400-year-old swords. They've got Dark Souls 3, great sword. They've got the sword from Kill Bill. Mm. Um, They've even got the two swords from the Silver and Steel Sword from Witcher, from Witcher 3. Mm. Um, So it's, it's very... They've got Jacob's Cane from Assassin's Creed mm. Syndicate, the mm. new the new Assassin's Creed, and the list goes on. Um, I was half expecting to only find sort of half a dozen mm. of them, but but it's a massive back catalogue of weapons that have been created by these guys. Loki's staff yeah, yeah. is there as well. Uh, there's crossbows. There's there's quite a few different types of weapons. Um, so definitely go and check them out. Four point eight million scri- subscribers. Yep, four point eight. 
Yeah. Closing in on five million very yeah. quickly. And just this one video, which is the Witcher 3 Silver and Steel Swords, yeah. um, 2.8 million views. Yeah, it's crazy. It's brilliant, man. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And I love the fact that this is something that's been around for millennia mm. and, and we're still celebrating it. Mm. You know, it's still a craft that we celebrate. Mm. If only not on the battlefield, mm. in memorabilia that as we put a, in our shelf. As an art form. As an art form, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, totally. So that brings us home for memorabilia, props, and movie-related items mm. that we seem to have a fixation with and mm. a connection to. Mm. Um, and and that's it for us for this week. Um, Dan, anything coming up in your week ahead? Um, let's start thinking about um, shows in the in the future. I want to start having a look at um, computing, more computing stuff. We yep. went into the past. Want to have a look in the future, mm-hmm. and uh, one I might just check out is quantum computing, which sounds like a nice barrel of laughs. Nice and uh, yeah. So anyway, that's all, that's on my radar. Plus, I'm watching really horrible sci-fi mov- movies at home. Yes, we're we're. We're moving towards doing something that we won't let too much out about. We mm-hmm. want to uh, see where it goes, but yeah, we're going to try to um, we're going to try to play with some classic cinema in the past and maybe repurpose it a little bit and have some fun with it. Yeah, and look at it maybe from a few different different angles. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Bring our bring our chops to it and, <laughs> and see where we go. And Rick Rick uh, Legato is uh, interested in playing in that space as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, call to action, I would love for anybody to um, come up with their favourite either owned or wishless piece of memorabilia um, and put it in the comments below. And what would you pay for it? And yeah, and what you would be uh, willing to pay for it, which is always a, a shock. And be honest, be honest, because I can guarantee uh, you'll probably pay a little bit more than what you're willing to mm. uh, admit. Mm. Um we try to keep those receipts quiet. <laughs> um, so, yes, that's my call to action. Please, uh, if you can think of any memorabilia, uh, then put it in the comments below. Um, go ahead and like and, and subscribe to the channel if you mm. if you like what we're doing and, f- and give us any feedback at any point. Um, uh, VoyagerTheGeek.com is where you'll get uh, a link to the podcast, which is on iTunes and Stitcher, and and we've also got a page on Facebook mm. which you can join us on. As, and we like to post a lot of stuff that's um, that we come across that's in article form and and link form up on the Facebook page. Mm. So it's a great place to um, uh, to find the stuff that we're coming across uh, on a more regular basis. So that's it for us. Uh, if you'd like to sign us off. Um, save often, I guess. Save often is the time honoured. Yeah, <laughs> save often. <laughs> Bye. Bye.